Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. My name is Tori Poole. In this episode, we bring you stories about the paranormal and other kinds of hauntings. Our first storyteller is Mia Valdez. Mia shares a story about a non-traditional haunting, one that came from within. Hello, everyone. My name is Mia, and I am, uh, you know, growing up, my, my mother and father, uh, they're both uh, Mexican-Americans. Uh, my cousins, the family, uh, aunts, uncles, and brothers, they're all uh, kind of fair, brown-skinned Mexican people. So you wouldn't, uh, you probably wouldn't guess that looking at me. Um, and even though we grew up with a lot of love in our family and I had a lot of love in my heart, I, um, I knew that other people didn't see me that way. And um, I was their daughter, but at the same time, I was somehow still... Uh, the biological child of a black man who I don't know uh, may very well die never knowing him. And that's fine because uh, I'm tough. But uh, <laughs> uh, and also because my parents are great. You know, my my mom is Mexican. My dad's Mexican. My dad is so Mexican that he doesn't even call white people white people. Uh, hi, TPR. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he, he calls them Anglos. Right. And I I keep trying to tell him it's pronounced colonizer. Uh, no, uh, but my dad is great. He's, they're beautiful people, but, um, over time, you know, this was a really confused, I realized that I had confusing complex emotions and feelings towards myself. Uh, I started to feel haunted, uh, right, if you will. And, um, it wasn't long before that eventually started making its way out into the world. Um, like I said, I am Mexican American, and uh, as with any Mexican-American family, uh, the day comes along when you're 13 and it's time to start babysitting your cousins who are like two years younger than you. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, I loved our family. We were hilarious people. We were toxic um, <laughs> and very loving. Um, my, my two younger cousins, uh, Allie and Jojo, I love I love them so much. They were the babies of the family, and they were identical looking, even though they were a couple years apart. Um, they were like two little adorable chubby brown Mexican kids, and um, and when that happens, sometimes you know your aunt tells you don't feed them, uh, and she would tell me she's like they're gonna ask like ten times. Only say yes on the seventh time they ask. So <laughs> she wanted me to starve her kids. Um, and I, I latched onto that. I was like, whatever you want, Aunt Martha, um, I'll, I'll starve your kids for you. And um, I was babysitting them. And it was, you know, they, uh, they were difficult kids. I was a little older. And even though I loved them, I didn't want to be around them. I, uh, <laughs> I wanted the money. Uh, <laughs> and as with many Mexican-American family, I didn't get paid. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted the money. And um, it was, I, I couldn't understand how to, like, take care of them. 
um, and starve them at the same time. Uh, so eventually, suddenly, I sort of developed this weird habit of pretending that I was possessed by a demon uh, so that they would leave me alone. Um, and I was babysitting them. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, they would like ask for food, keep asking for food, and I'd be like, you guys eat a lot of food and it's pissing me off, uh, which is not, it's problematic now, but uh, it, I thought I was doing a good thing. And I, um, I loved pretending to be possessed by a demon. I loved how evil it felt and uh, being in control of the situation. And eventually I got to the point where I would, I would do this deep guttural voice, you know, like, I'm gonna haunt you, is it? Uh, <laughs> Uh, stop asking me for food! No. <laughs> um, but I would pre I pretend to be possessed, and then one day I was like, let's make it worse, and um, traumatize them. And I, So I, 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 I would like try to fight the demon, I would like pretend that I didn't want to be possessed, but I, I couldn't help it, stop asking me for PB and jelly. Uh, um, so I, um, I told them, I got like a really serious look in my eye, and I was like, oh no, the demon's talking to me. He says that one of you has to die. <laughs> and you have to choose. <laughs> it was so evil. I loved it. <laughs> and they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. And I, was, I got to the point, like, you know, in the middle of all the fun I was having, I was like, why am I doing this? Why do I... Why does it feel so good to finally make other people feel, you know, kind of paranoid and anxious and, you know, unsure of what lurks around the corner? Um, uh, am I just evil or is there a deeper meaning to this? Uh, and um, I would do that. And then eventually I realized that I could kind of use that to uh, kind of gain some status in a weird way in other areas of life, like with my friends friends. Um, in the sixth grade, I was having a hard time. It was tough. I, you know, felt like an outcast for a lot of my life. And then, uh, you know, the best place to be an outcast is in middle school um, <laughs> in like 2006 or whatever. Uh, so I, um, I had one really popular friend um, and I sort of uh, convinced her to invite like the more popular crowd to come over to my house before uh, school in the mornings and we'd all get ready and then we'd get we'd uh, walk to school together. And I did this uh, really with no intention of showing up to school on time. That's not my thing. Um, <laughs> it was to get a crowd of people together at my house. Uh, I tricked them into doing that. And then I pretended that my entire house was haunted now. So it wasn't just me. Um, and if you guys have yeah, that house with like the air conditioning where it kind of like, it'll go off in one room and then another door and the house will slam shut. So I, uh, I would pretend that there was a ghost or a demon in the house. And um, in order to get rid of it uh, and to set it free and let it move on to the next life, they had to hold my hand and be friends with me. <laughs> and say a prayer with me and I had to pretend that I was the magical one and that nothing would work without me and uh and I I was really dramatic about it too I was like you guys this is why I'm not popular because I'm so stressed out with the ghost uh <laughs> and um uh I remember 
it never really worked, but I remember deeply the feeling of wanting other people to know what it was like to be haunted. Um, and that's my story. And my name is Mia thank you. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Kevin Lars Phillips. Kevin shares a story about a past that still haunts him and the ghost of a friendship lost. So, my best friend growing up, Michael, uh, we were the best friends that through grade school, high school, it was like, I knew that I was going to be his best man at his wedding. He was going to be my best man at my wedding. And we eventually went to college, drifted apart a little, but we knew that our friendship was the type of friendship that could survive anything. And then as college came to a conclusion for me, um, I gradually started to slip into a depression. And it was through um, being in a relationship that I knew was falling apart. It was due to underemployment, having after just gotten a degree, I started working as a gas attendant at Sam's Club. No shame in that, but with a bachelor's, you would think you would do a little something more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the thing that exacerbated it most was I decided to go on a family trip that had been planned with the girlfriend at the time, uh, with her and 13 of her family members just after we broke up to Disney World. (laughs) The happiest place on earth is not the best place to start losing your mind. Um, I started getting really paranoid. I thought people were out to get me. It got so bad that on the way back driving, because obviously driving was the best solution for my mental state of mind. Driving back, uh, I was with her stepdad, and I pulled the wheel of the car to be able to jump out uh, because in my mind, I knew that he was going to have me dropped off somewhere, tortured and killed, which absolutely was not true. But I started to hitchhike to go back in the opposite direction to get away from him, and I ended up getting a ride um, from the police. And they took me to the Louisiana State University Mental Health Science Center, where I spent two of the worst weeks of my life. Um, there were things going on in my head that were not real, that felt so real. Uh, I didn't want to take a shower because I thought that there would be something um, dangerous in the water that would hurt me. Um, I thought that things on the TV were talking about me. It was not good. Um, but I eventually got to the point where I meeting with the doctor, knew what to say to get released, even though they were not true, and was released to my family. Um, And for another about three months, it really was subsiding. And I finally thought things were going to go back to normal. And uh, Michael was still there. He was supportive. Uh, He knew what I had gone through was very difficult. And he was still supportive through this moment in my life. Um, But then new symptoms started to surface. Um, there was pressured speech, there was grandiosity, there was fiscal irresponsibility, all signs of bipolar one, which I have diagnosed to this day. Um, and it turned me into an asshole. Um, and I started losing friend after friend after friend. Uh, Michael and I um, had a rough patch there but I ended up into a time of stability, getting on the right meds after being released from jail in 2012. 
And by 2013, it was time for his wedding. And uh, due to the fact that I was no longer really who I once was, uh, I was not going to be his best man. I was going to be one of many, which kind of hurt a little. Um, but I knew that I needed to go to support him for this moment in his life. Uh, however, I had recently gone off the meds that were helping and uh, ended up being an asshole at the bachelor party at Enchanted Rock while we were camping with all of his close friends. And when we came back to Austin, he staged an intervention with my mom, my aunt, himself, and his fiance. And I walked out into the streets of Austin, homeless for a couple weeks, and they had wanted me to go to the Austin State Hospital to get help. And after two weeks, I ended up at the Austin State Hospital and got some help, um, not of my own free will. Um, and then while I was there, I met a guy, his name was Steve. <coughs> oh, <excuse me. coughs> and uh, Steve looked like you had just plucked him off the beaches of California and dropped it in him with his board shorts, his long hair, his perfectly tanned skin. And uh, he was someone that I started to talk to while I was there that was working there and volunteering there, uh, who was a peer support specialist which is someone in the mental health community that uses their lived experience to offer hope and inspire people to um, enter recovery in regards to bettering your life and reaching stability. Um, after getting out of the hospital, um, we were never the same uh, after what had happened with uh, the intervention. And uh, it was probably another four years of ups and downs 2016, so three years. 2016, um, we finally had gotten past the point where he had sent me a message saying that he was not needing to be in my life anymore and setting some pretty strong boundaries. And uh, then Michael and I had one more argument at the end of it, and uh, it concluded with me saying, I don't want to have any reminders of you in my life. And uh, I've missed him a lot over the years, but I know that you have to move on. And by uh, 2017, I had one last forensic stay at the Austin State Hospital again and uh, decided that it was time to truly turn my life around. I've been, since then, uh, haven't had any episodes, hospitalizations, arrests, or homelessness. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, in 2020, I went through the certification process to become a peer support specialist. But wait, <laughs> I didn't get a job as a peer specialist till the end of 2021. <laughs> but I am still that to this day with the Center for Healthcare Services here in San Antonio. And uh, Michael is not my best friend anymore, but uh, I do have a new best friend. <clears throat> Her name is Lisa. We met during the pandemic. We've been together since 2020, and uh, we're now cohabitating, and I'm living with her and her daughters, my bonus daughters, and uh, life is pretty good. Uh, and I'll leave you all with a PSA. Uh, if you have anyone, family, loved one, friend, that is going through a mental health crisis, there is now a non-emergency number that you can call which is 988 for people in a mental health crisis. Thank you.
Our next storyteller is Sara Lascano. Sara shares a story about a couple of spirits and one that kind of became part of the family. So in the early 90s, I was super excited. Me and my family were moving out of our two-bedroom apartment into in San Antonio to a four-bedroom, two-story house in Leon Valley. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have my own room. Awesome. And I have to share with my little brother and sister. So um, 13 years older than my sister, 10 years older than my brother. Um, so the new family, my mom got married and... Um, the guy's five years older than me. I guess she's what you call a cougar. Um, <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, so we move into this house, and it's a two-story. The backyard is big, and there's a well in the backyard. Kind of weird. It's covered, boarded up. I thought, well, now I can think of the ring. Back then, the ring wasn't out. <laughs> um, so... Kind of weird, but next door neighbor had chickens and peacocks and roosters and we had dogs and that was not a good combination. So um, we're moving in, you know, slowly unpacking, super tired. My brother and sister go to bed. I go to bed. My mom stays up unpacking. So I, I find this out the next day. She's like, the next morning I wake up. She's oh my God, don't tell your brother and sister. And I'm like, what's going on? She's like, well. I heard them playing. Well, I thought I heard them playing. I heard, you know, like horsing around. So I go down the hall, go to your brother's room. He's sound asleep. I check you. You're sound asleep. And my sister's the last bedroom at the end of the hall. Right when she's about to open the door, she's like, I hear. I was like, what'd you hear? What'd you hear? Get out. And I was like, what? Come on. She's like, and she's like, you knew what I said? I was like, I can only imagine, Mom. You get the fuck out. I'm not leaving anywhere. So that's, that is my mom for you. That was her, of course. I, I knew it. I knew it. So I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? Okay, don't tell him. So as we go, you know, on and packing and, you know, you hear noises. You hear, like, scratches. You hear crying. And the dogs would not want to go upstairs. You would have to, like, grab them and be like, come on. You know, it's not going to just be me by myself. So... Where, you know, my mom had weights. She would she used to lift weights. So you'd be downstairs, and her bedroom was above the kitchen, and you would hear, like, somebody just dropping the weights, just, like, boom, boom, and then somebody, like, running. And so I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to catch them. Because I'm not scared. I'm like, I ain't scared of no ghost. But so I go upstairs, and I go in, and I'm like, oh, there's, and then my mom's like, is anything, you know, moved around? No, no, no. So this would happen on and off and just got used to it. So, of course, being the Hispanic family, my mom's saging, holy water in the corners, prayers. You've got to go. you got to leave. This is not your, you know, your time's over. Um, so <laughs> on the loft, there's like a little banister and then the bottom. So she's like, you know, she tells me, oh, my God, your sister saw him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah. She comes in and my mom's vacuuming on the loft and then... Tori's like, Mama, who's that man behind you? Whoa. She's like, shit. <laughs> Turns around. No one. Is, we're the only ones here in the house. So my sister was scared to death. She would sleep with this big-ass children's Bible. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and I was like, okay, it's half your size, but whatever. Um, so, well, my grandparents from Laredo are going to move in with us. And I'm like, what? Oh, my God. There goes my room. So there I have to share with my sister again. So they come in. We don't tell my grandparents because you know, forget it. They'll go you know, crazy. But, of course, my grandmother's gets very scared and, you know, gets all crazy, panicky. So it would mess with her. When she'd go to the bathroom, it would lock her in. So when she's trying to get out, we're downstairs, and she's like, Chingo, after la pinche puerta! Ah, what are y'all doing to me? Like, And so we're like, it's not us. She's like, why are y'all doing this to me? And I'm like, no, okay. It, and I think it liked that she'd get all crazy, so it would do it to her more often. So my boyfriend from Laredo was moving with, with us, but of course he slept in my brother's room. My brother had bunk beds, so my brother's like, hey, you're sleeping on the top. I'm in the bottom. Well, for until he got his apartment, so we're there, you know, and he's like, I don't believe you. I don't, and I'm like, I'm telling you, you're gonna, something's gonna happen. So sure enough, one night he's thinks that some, my brother's messing with him. So think about it. He's reaching down. He's like, you know, stop it, you know. And so he's reaching down as he opens his eyes. He sees a figure in front of him and he's touching my brother. Oh, I got chills. And so he's like, oh, fuck. And he sees it like just floating. He tells me, I saw it just floating into the closet. I was like, you see, I told you so. That's that's when. So my grandmother is thinking, always trying to think that she's going to catch me, like, I don't know, making out with my boyfriend. I don't know. something. She, so she heard the TV on downstairs in the living room. She's like, turn that off. So the next day she's like, who was watching TV so loud? And we're like, nobody, no, nobody. It's probably the ghost. It's okay. It'll get used to him. I always wanted to, like, see him. My sister saw him. Obviously, my boyfriend saw him. Then my grandmother gets her chance. So I fell asleep on the couch in the loft. And so she's like, she said she sees some guy like caressing me because I fell asleep on the couch, caressing my face. So she's like, chinga, ¿qué estás haciendo? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And so telling, so the figure turns around with his bright little red eyes, she says. She took off to her room. She's like, get my grandfather. Just different things would happen. You'd hear the noises, the doors. Um, and still, I was like, I need to see him. I'm dying to see this, you know, what ghost, right? Catch him, whatever. Well, anyway, so they, they're they going to sell the house. And they offered my mom to buy it. She's like, no, you can't afford it. I'm like, even because it's haunted? I mean, who wants a haunted house? You know, he's part of our family now. So <laughs> ends up being we're packing everything up. And I'm like, wow, this is weird. Like, I wonder who's going to live here next and what they're going to experience. As we're leaving, you know, it's getting nighttime and I'm not driving, so I'm in the back. And I just turned around and we had some little windows in our in our um, dining room area, like just little windows with curtains. So as we're driving away, I turn around and I just see him. Like, I see a figure and, like, the clothes. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at it. Everybody turns around. And then you just see, like, the curtain just move. And that's my story. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Regis Velasco. 
Regis shares his story about how some relationships just end with silence. So, uh, I haven't had the best luck with love. Uh, look at me. I, uh, uh, thank you. You're beautiful. Um, I will never say that ever again. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't been good with love. Uh, I went through all of high school and college without a date. Uh, I lost my virginity at age 29. Uh, I think that was by accident. I don't know how it happened. But needless to say, like, uh, you know, I had trouble in the dating world. But, you know, finally I broke down when I was about six years ago. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to get a Tinder account. Like, what could possibly go wrong, right? It's Tinder. <laughs> so I met this girl. Uh, I'm just going to call her Tinder girl because I don't want to get sued. And we were a bit of a mismatched couple. She was 5'10". I'm 5'2". Still am. Uh, she would have to stoop down to kiss me, right? And it'd be even weirder when she would pick me up. <laughs> and then just like hugging her was weird because I was like at a standing motorboat. So every time I would hug her, I would also her sexually harass her consensually. <laughs> consensually, very consensually. And that's how that worked out. But you know what? She was, you know, she was pretty, she was smart, she was cute. She got along with my friends. So you know what? Height doesn't even matter to me. Like, why should it matter, right? You don't have to clap for that. Um, <laughs> but she was really cool. And, you know, I, I thought it was going to last for a while. But, you know, the cracks started to form. Um, she would always show up to our dates, like, drunk. And when she wasn't drunk, she would be high from smoking weed, which I did not approve of at the time. <laughs> I do now, so. If you're going to meet me backstage, you can do something. I'm single now, too, so. I just spoiled the ending, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the cracks started to form, and um, I found out she started talking to her ex. Yeah, it's weird. And not, not only that, but she was also like really bad with money. Oh my God. I remember one time she uh, asked me to pay for a car battery, and I was like, why don't you use your, your, why don't you use your uh, credit? And she's like, I don't have a credit card. I was like, okay, why don't you use your savings? She's like, I don't have savings either. I was like, you're 30. What? What? Even little children have piggy banks, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing here? You're spending all your money on fucking weed. Like, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. So I actually helped her. You know, I stuck with her. I was like, she's a loser, but red flag. But I'm going to stick with her. You know, I'm going to help her. I'm going to budget. And I found out she could save, like, $300 a month. 300 Like, that's, that's a pretty decent amount. All she has to do is make sure she doesn't... You know, she has food in the house, so she doesn't order takeout because that's where she's losing all her money. And um, yeah, I found out she started talking to her ex, and she said they were just friends, right? No, <laughs> they were not. Uh, because she all of a sudden started insisting when we were doing oral sex that we would use dental dams. Yeah. Dental dams, you know, it's like a protective covering over your face. Uh, <laughs> I never used them. <laughs> I left them in my work desk. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Now I got the banana scented ones. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, it's like licking the inside of a Laffy Taffy, like the wrapper. You want to use like the wrapper on the. Mm, not pleasurable at all. <laughs> 
I don't recommend dental dams. Just and we had already shared each other's bodies for like an entire month. I was like, why are we doing this now? You know, it's like imagine like really liking chocolate, but then they tell you you have to eat it through the wrapper now. And like, come on, man. You have to eat it through the wrapper because I don't know. I don't know what the wrapper's contaminated with, but like, whatever. We got cross contamination going on here. So, like, after that, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, we started, um, yeah, we started to, so this, I started to disassociate myself from her. Um, I was just thinking of ways, like, how do I tell her, you know? Do I text her? Do I call her? Do I tell her in person? We've been doing this for like a month now, so I don't want to just like up and leave. But for an entire week, I got nothing but radio silence. Like nothing, no text, nothing. So she ghosted me. Or so I thought. <laughs> Turns out she'd spent an entire week in jail. <laughs> she deserved it. Um, <laughs> She got really drunk at work, right? And uh, when the police tried to take her home, she ended up assaulting them. So yeah, I know, right? It's more 2022 thing. It's not so good five years ago. Uh, but you know, I've never been thankful for the police until that very moment. Like they gave me like a little assist there. Thanks, police. And WA was wrong um, about that matter. Um, so I got this call from jail and we started arguing a little bit and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm done with you. Like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But then I got her, uh, <laughs> I got a text from her ex, her special friend, right? And it was asking me if I wanted to donate to her uh, commissary account. <laughs> it's like saddest GoFundMe ever. It's like, hey, you want to help my girl buy some ramen? <laughs> Hell no, I don't want to do that. Are you crazy? Why would I do that? You've been cheating on me for the last month, this douchebag. Like, why, why would I do that? Um, so after that, uh, you know, I, I was actually in Las Vegas. This actually happened, no shitting you, this happened on 420. Uh, I was actually... <laughs> I was in Las Vegas. I was en route to a girl's house that I met on Bumble. It's okay. <laughs> We're just friends. Me and that girl. Uh, <laughs> very consensual friends. Um, <laughs> so that happened. And yeah, she just called me and she was like hinting, you know. She's like, hey, hey, you know what? Um, do you want to like, you know, maybe donate some money, give me some money so I can get out because I can't afford my bond. And I'm like, no. And like, I just like stood there awkward in conversation, just kind of like waiting, like what was the right time to like end this relationship? And then this magic voice comes out of nowhere and it goes, you have 10 minutes remaining. <laughs> that sounds about right. We're gonna go with that. All right. So the 10 minutes lapsed. I blocked her phone number. I stopped answering her texts, I deleted her off social media, and that is the story of how I became a ghost. That's it for this episode of the Worth Repeating podcast. You can get tickets for the next live show by visiting tpr.org backslash WR. 
or submit a story that you'd like to tell. If you know someone who has a great story, tell them about Worth Repeating. The theme for our next live show on November 15th is weeds. Stories about pulling up the weeds in your life, smoking weed, or maybe feeling like a weed yourself. Consider submitting a story to tell or join us for the next live show. Support for Worth Repeating comes from the 8020 Foundation, do210.com, Texas A&M University at San Antonio, and Real Ale Brewing Company. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio.